It's been said that Christian music sucks. On The Antidote, we dispel that myth as we explore the artistry of Christian bands, listen to in-depth interviews and music from these faith-based groups. For unique and innovative music ranging from metalcore to indie folk, you'll hear it all on The Antidote with Dave Hawkins. Wednesdays at 9 on Trent Radio, 92.7 FM, Peterborough. Centipede Sisters by the band Showbread. Thanks for tuning in the antidote on this rainy Halloween night for those who aren't out on the streets begging for candy. On the antidote, we feature artists who represent a Christian worldview. Tonight is going to be the second part of a two-part series of the raw rock band Showbread. Last week, you heard a number of tracks from Showbread's earlier releases, and tonight we're going to carry on with their music, and we're also going to be airing the conclusion of the interview The Antidote had with Josh Dyes, frontman and lead vocalist of Showbread, as we spend some time discussing their new album, Cancer. Then, you decided to go with Come and Live. That's right, yeah. A new label during 2010, and mm-hmm. you brought out Who Can Know It. Yeah, and uh, so when we were releasing the fear of god uh our contract with tooth and nail was all done and uh our a and r representative at tooth and nail a dude named chad johnson had left the label to go and start a nonprofit organization called come and live and he had this really wacky idea to get a bunch of bands that really love jesus and get them to release music for free <laughs> and us being the uh strange people that we are we said immediately like oh yeah we'll come with you we'll do that so uh, we went straight to Come and Live and had, you know, another few member changes. And at that time, we're like, well, you know, it's a different direction. It's a different label. We have different members. We really wanted to go farther in a different direction than we ever had before because the showbread motto is kind of like never make the same record twice. And we want to 
kind of shock the audience every single time with how big a departure we can do with every record. And we said, with this one, let's do like the ultimate departure. Let's what can we do that will, you know, immediately as soon as you start hearing it, you'll be like, this doesn't even sound like the same band, which is the, you know, the effect that we wanted. And we decided that would be, you know, one, no screaming, no like yelling, no traditional power chord rock songs, and just tons and tons of uh, instrumentation. You know, there's xylophones and pianos and horns and stringed instruments, all kinds of crazy things. And that became Who Can Know It, uh, which it certainly pulled off what we were hoping, which would be really jarring to the audience. Um, but we had anticipated that. And, you know, we think that's kind of the fun of it, is if, if you can't have people really reacting to the record each time, good or bad, um, then, you know, it's, it kind of becomes boring, and we, we don't want the complacency in the audience. So, yeah, that was a ton of fun. It was really difficult to force ourselves to write differently, um, but I, I think that we pulled it off. of a Christian nation with a politicized and pacifist message from Josh Dyes. Since you released the album on Come and Live, and it was just available as a free download, you also did a whole tour of free concerts. How do you put gas in the van and how do you pay for your macaroni and cheese when (laughs) you're offering everything for free? Oh, man. Uh, Well, in one sense, you don't. There were two perceived things about the way that we, the you know, the free model um, that we kind of embarked on with Come and Live. And one was that, like, well, this is the way the industry's heading. You know, you have everyone from Radiohead to Trent Reznor doing the free record thing as a way to try to figure out what's going to work in the, you know, in the wake of the crumbling music industry. Certain people were like, oh, Come and Live is a, another business model, or it's another uh, way of trying to figure out what's going to work when the music industry is, is all the way dead, which it seems like it's heading that way. And another thing was like, they think that the most ethical thing is to give music away for free. And the, in actuality, it was neither of the two. 
uh, it certainly wasn't a business model by any means because we're not the caliber of band that can give away the record for free and then count on you know a tour to fund itself which is I think strategic for certain bands of the size of like Radiohead or something and even if that was our approach we did the tour for free too so that wouldn't have worked but it certainly wasn't the other way either that like we think oh my gosh dude if you're you know following Jesus or if you have this kind of moral structure then you should be giving away things for free because that's not the case at all. It actually takes tens of thousands of dollars to make a record. It takes um, tens of thousands of dollars to fund a tour and, you know, absolutely no greed whatsoever. You just literally cannot make a record without money. You cannot go on tour without money. For some bizarre reason, in the wake of the crumbling music industry and piracy, illegal downloading, all that stuff, there's this bizarre sense of entitlement with music consumers and that they think that music is owed to them. And with no other media, um, do people expect that it should be given them to them for free? People don't expect that they should be able to walk into a movie theater and say like, well, no, you should give this to me. Why in the world would I pay for this? Or, you know, walk into Barnes & Noble and say like, why in the world would I pay for this book? It's owed to me. It should be given to me. But that's the approach that a lot of listeners have to music. And they think like, oh my gosh, these people are so greedy that they're mad about you know illegal downloading and stuff. So we understand that it actually takes money to make music. It takes money to go on tour. It wasn't like a moral standard or anything. The, the idea was if we treat our listeners with generosity, then generosity will be reciprocated. And that model actually was successful in giving the record away for free. And we did the tour for free. But we told people, you know, the tour is completely for free. And we mean what we say when it's for free. We're not expecting anything from you guys. If for some reason you feel inclined, we have a box back there if you want to help us buy gas. But, you know, no one is obligated to pay us anything. And that generosity was completely reciprocated. People night after night. Uh, they'd buy us dinner, they'd give us money for gas, and the tour completely sustained itself in that sense. Now, I don't think that that's a valid business model. I don't think that you can do that all year round. At least, I don't think that that's a realistic expectation for showbread anyway. But for that time, it worked. Uh, I'd like to you know, try to find a way for free touring to be something that we can do more often. With showbread, it's not necessarily an ethical thing or a business model. It's just more like we really want to tell people something, and if we can move the price tag out of the way, then it's going to open up the door for more and more people to hear what it is that we have to say. And it's really as simple as that. Just tell me what you want me to 
wonder if Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails had any idea that one day a Christian rock band would do a cover of Head Like a Hole. Back in 2007, you had said the average listener doesn't want to be taken on an adventure through all sorts of different lands. When it comes to music, they like to get comfortable and stay comfortable. What about today? Do you still want to keep your fans uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's two ways of looking at you know our approach to music and art and all that thing, because our bottom line has always been that we're going to make the record that we want to make and that we feel led to make. Um, it's not going to affect us. The audience's expectations will not be imposed on us to the point that it will change our direction. The reason is it's not like an insensitivity towards the people who actually enjoy our music. We feel like the people who like us appreciate us for that reason, that um, there's this true creative spirit, for better or for worse. And and at times, people would certainly say it's for worse, but that we're going to make the record that we want to make. And I think a lot of people have, you know, and it's it's a totally fair uh, suspicion, but have kind of read into that, that like, oh, these guys are so arrogant and they're pretentious and they just... They like get some kind of bizarre pleasure out of alienating their fans, and they think that they're, you know, like uh, we're so punk rock, we don't even want people to like our own band. <laughs> but it's really not that at all. I think that there's something really fun and challenging about having a record that you can completely anticipate that it's it's entirely possible and maybe even likely that 50% of our listeners will hear this and it'll be too much for them. But I want to be able to look back at our discography and say, like, good grief, like, one record can't really be compared effectively to the other record because it's almost not even the same genre. I like this effect of, oh, this band has a new record coming out. I want to hear it, not be not just because I like the band, but because I have no idea what it might sound like. Um, there's bands that have a model that they stick to record to record to record, and it totally works, like, you know, ACDC is always going to sound like ACDC and they're never going to break formula and that's the thing that works for them and I wouldn't expect it any differently. But then there are other bands and, and I'd like to think that we're one of them that's like, there's absolutely no telling what the next record might sound like and that's kind of the fun of it. Whether you like it or hate it, there's no way to accurately predict <laughs> what it might sound like. No, that's one thing they've always got to agree with with Showbread every time. This is not a cookie cutter album. I guess I'm one of those that actually like all of it. I have all of the albums, and I almost equally enjoy all of them. Well, then, see, you're the, you're the open-minded individual. <laughs> it's not to say that people that don't like one record versus the other one are closed-minded, per se. There's plenty of bands that I really appreciate that, that do the different album to different album thing, and every now and then there's a record that's like, eh, this one's not really my thing. That's totally fine. But I would have it no other way. I like, you know, the the diversity. I like the change up. And there's always going to be folks like yourself or folks like me that happen to end up liking all of the record, even, you know, as far as it dips in one direction or the other. But that's the fun of it, you know? Right. And yeah. really, what the focus is, is this a true artist or is this somebody trying to sound like somebody else in the market? Yeah, and that's a tough question, I think, for a lot of bands to ask themselves or a lot of artists to ask themselves, because it's really easy to like kind of subconsciously fall into the category of like, well, wait a minute, like, are we doing this because this is what we want to do? Or are we doing this because we're worried what people will think or whether or not they'll like it? Or at the end of the day, even if everyone hates the record, if I made the record that I love, then I at least know that not to use the a cliche, but didn't sell out in a sense or didn't bow to the whims of listeners. Because if we continue to do that, then you know no one's ever going to get any kind of honest art. And that's what uh, a lot of people appreciate is what they can actually perceive as honesty and in the, the, the art.
Showbread released their new album, Cancer, on September 25th, and musically, that's got to be the most diverse album you've ever produced. The songs switch from your raw rock to piano ballad ska and everything in between. I mean, even sometimes during a single song. Were you really trying to stretch people a little bit with that idea, too, just to run all these different musical aspects to a single album? I think we were trying to stretch ourselves more so, like, People have said that to us about, like, they're impressed or at the very least a tad surprised at the, the kind of schizophrenic genre hopping that we do sometimes in one single song. And we were looking at, like, a lot of progressive rock bands like uh, Rush and Early Genesis and things like that and being like, well, holy cow, these dudes have, like, eight-minute songs and they, it's, like, 15 different movements within one song. But, it, you know, it's pretty mathematical and all over the place and really abstract. So we were like, what if we could do this? within our formula and our context of kind of like catchy and energetic rock anthems that cover a, a lot of ground in a brief time. Somehow we managed to do that. I'm, I'm kind of surprised with it myself. Cancer has been really getting some phenomenal reviews. All of the reviews that I've seen, it's like you're 5 out of 5 or 10 out of 10. And it does have a central theme, but do you want to describe what that is? Yeah, so Cancer is a it's a concept record, and the story is about a fictional band called the Protozoa, and the leader of that band is a young man named Chemo. The story takes place in a near-future version of America, where America is kind of under the authority and under the rule of these otherworldly, extraterrestrial, however you want to say it, beings called the Principalities. And this band rises up out of obscurity to lead a kind of revolt against the authorities that they feel like are oppressive or unjust. You know, we're making a movie that goes with the record, and there's a pretty elaborate artwork that comes with the download from Come and Live that fleshes out the story. But the album actually lyrically functions a bit on a smaller scale. So in the lyrics, you're getting first-person narrative from Kimo, the uh, protagonist, and his kind of struggle with what he feels like is a bizarre marriage of church and state that he's seeing. And then as he begins to really rebel against that idea, he starts to experience this really difficult uh, inner turmoil of, is he, has he gone too far? Is he being, is he now being, you know, unloving to the people that he felt were being unloving to him? And, and it all culminates with, you know, what I think is like a really healthy realization for him at the end of the story, even though the story doesn't really end well for the protagonist in the physical sense. It's, uh, it's played out in different media. It's played out in the artwork, visuals, and it's played out in the movie that comes out early next year. It was quite an undertaking in the same way. You were born in a prison from the new showbread album, Cancer.
how much does cancer parallel today's uh, political and societal norms? Oh, well, it's a very thinly veiled metaphor. I, I don't think a, a, a whole lot of people are going to uh, be that suspicious about whether or not this is what we actually think, because it is, you know, totally based on our experience with highly politicized church in uh, America and the way that that's affecting the church around the world. Uh, you know, last year we toured in, I don't know, almost 10 different countries in the, the entire year and have seen like the marriage of church and state have a, a very strong effect on the way that Jesus followers are perceived here in America and perceived in different countries in Europe and in New Zealand and things like that. So it was an issue that we really wanted to speak to. We've kind of dabbled in it here and there on previous records, sometimes a little more upfront than others, but this was a, a chance to be really direct and be really outspoken about what we thought. And at the, at the very least, you know, a lot of people are going to assume that we're trying to shove this, you know, rebellious agenda down people's throats. But the idea was to generate conversation and to generate healthy debate and generate healthy questions and things like not so much indoctrinate people into our way of thinking. Now, one of the song titles from Cancer is titled Anarchy. So can you tell us what your solution would be? Right, yeah. The song Anarchy takes place in the in the story when the protagonist Chemo has reached his like most frustrated and most rebellious phase. But lyrically the song uh was written early on uh and it was influenced by a lot of Christian anarchists, Tolstoy and Greg Boyd and Dorothy Day and Jackie Lou a lot like different theologians who have mm -hmm. um, kind of came up with uh, this position that the Jesus followers role is uh, first and foremost allegiance and obedience to Jesus, even at, you know, at expense to the allegiance to the state, if that means violating the state, accepting that Jesus and the New Testament authors also taught like submission uh, to the state, uh, nonviolence, non-resistance, that kind of thing. So I think when people hear a word as strong as anarchy, they think, you know, like V for Vendetta, they think, you know, this uh, revolt uprising with Molotov cocktails and fight the power, overthrow the government. But anarchism, uh, based on the teachings of, of Jesus, is really just about having an allegiance that's first and foremost and only to Jesus and not to the state. And that doesn't mean rebellion against the state. It doesn't mean uprising or revolt or any of those things. It just means that um, I have one king and that king is Jesus and it's not a president or an emperor or, or you know, an, a, a dictator or any of those things. The reason that we chose to use th that word on the record is really just because it's a really something of a conversation piece. It's such a strong word. It's such a like provocative imagery to say anarchy or to chant anarchy, we felt like it would be a way of drawing people into the conversation about, well, what is the solution? And in, the, in that song, uh, the narrator asked the question, are these kings the best that we can do or a necessary evil to ordering a mess? The record doesn't necessarily answer all the questions that it raises, but the important thing that we thought was to get people to talk about the questions, to actually ask the questions. I have a, a perception, I have a, an opinion and an idea, but I'm open to the fact that I could be wrong about those things. I just think that it's a conversation worth having. Of us, and if 
Josh, this is probably the least veiled lyrically of any of your albums. Is that meaning that you're having a little bit more passion about your topic on this? It's not necessarily that we're more passionate about this topic than other topics, but there there certainly is a lot of personal importance fueled into this thing. I guess if you want to be comparative, the there's songs on, if you go all the way back to the first record and you have a song like Mouth Like a Magazine or something, which is just about, in essence, about gossip. Versus, you know, a song like I'm Afraid That I'm Me on Cancer, which is, you know, about this struggle with Christianity's marriage to the state, then yes, it gets me a little more riled up to um, consider the topics in I'm Afraid That I'm Me versus Mouth Like a Magazine. That's not to say that we, we haven't been passionate until now. I just think that these topics at this time with this band, the things that we've been studying and experiencing, like, hit pretty close to home and um, we're really uh, serious about, we're really passionate about. And that's obviously coming across, I think, in the songs. But I keep reminding people that it, it is a concept record. It is like a fictional story that takes place, you know, in a dystopian future with aliens and things like that. But um, that isn't to undermine uh, what it is that we're saying. We actually have a position that we're advocating and, you know, like theological distinctives that we're advocating in the songs. If it's anywhere from Showbread's cancer record to like C.S. Lewis with, the you know, Narnia or The Great Divorce or something like there is a certain level of uh, pension of disbelief or a certain level of artistic license that one has to grant uh, something like a sci-fi concept record and um, certainly dig deep in all the topics, scrutinize the words, ju- you know, like dis- use discernment. You don't have to believe everything we're saying or buy into everything, agree with us or any of those things. But treat them seriously and at the same time treat it like uh, a sci-fi concept record. It's a difficult line to toe.
Josh Dias sings about our pursuit of both self-importance and self-satisfaction on that track, Germ Cell Tumor. How would you define both the purpose and the future of showbread? Well, the purpose of showbread is maybe surprisingly or by the grace of God, uh, the same that it was in the beginning, which is to tell people what it is that we believe about Jesus of Nazareth and not the Americanized, uh, you know, religious version of Jesus or maybe not the churchy youth group version of Jesus that you grew up with or um, not necessarily anyone's preconceived notions about Jesus, but the actual historical Jesus of Nazareth to tell people what it is that we think about him. That's the most important thing to us in the whole world, and that's why our band exists. And we exist to do that um, without bowing to the whims of expectations from listeners or the church or the Christian music industry or the secular music industry or any of those things. And that will continue to be the purpose of the band until the band ceases to exist, which, you know, I don't know when that will happen, but it's this broad and really generalized, maybe sometimes ambiguous vision of just having a band with a lot of open space. We can kind of do anything musically we want to do because we've we've set the stage with so many different genres and, you know, like no one will be surprised at this point if we do something really bizarrely different record to record. And no one will be surprised at this point if we say things that are really provocative. But, uh, you know, we want to generate conversation. We want to generate uh, debate. And we, you know, we don't want people to necessarily just take everything that we say as gospel fact. We want people to weigh the things that we say, test the things that we say, and think about other things that we say. And, you know, that's why our, our band exists, to provoke and to get people to ask questions uh, yeah, we, we want to be someone that's uh, something that's stimulating conversation, and we happen to want to stimulate conversation about Jesus. So that's why we're here, and that's what we're going to keep doing. And it's just taking you back to your old quote about how people want to get comfortable and stay comfortable, and you're going to shake them up. That's the idea, anyway. I hope that we can continue to do that. So how do listeners get a hold of a copy of that album? That record's available completely free from comeandlive.com. And if you download from Come and Live, you're going to get the entire album with the detailed artwork that goes along with fleshing out the story. Uh, if you feel like supporting us financially, um, then you can get the record from iTunes or Amazon or any of the other digital retailers that play the record. You can stream it for free on Spotify. Um, any digital outlet is offering the record right now. Come and Live has it for free, and then early next year there will be physical copies that have the movie as well.
that last track carries quite a provocative song title. That was Sex with Strangers from Showbread's Cancer album. Thanks for checking out The Antidote with Dave Hawkins. The Antidote is heard through the facilities of Trent Radio 92.7 FM in Uptown Peterborough. You've been listening to the conclusion of a two-part feature on the band Showbread. Now, next Wednesday, The Antidote is being preempted by Trent Radio's tribute to the Culkeen clan. And, of course, Shannon Culkeen is coming up in just a few minutes at 10 o'clock with Melancholy Holler. So tune in next week. It should be fun. Now, here's the final portion of the interview with Josh Dyes of Showbread and the final track from Showbread's new album, Cancer, You Will Not Die in Prison. Josh Dyes of Showbread, thanks for spending time with The Antidote, and I wish you and the band the best of success with Cancer. Maybe I should have said the album Cancer. Yeah, it does. It's making people. Uh, it's making it really difficult for people to advocate for the record when they, you know, I just got cancer. <laughs> Thanks. Really appreciate it, Josh. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Strikes me as on the way that I'll die aware of my own limitations. They all seem like blessings that draw me to you. Grip loose and on all my frustrations. Live up in a cell.
My goodness, my special, special thanks to the mic song, by the way. Thank you so much for that one. That was a really, really sweet blast from the past.